morning, Northwest. You can go ahead and have a seat. If this is your first time, I'm Ryan. I'm also one of the pastors here at the church. And wasn't that a great testimony from Trey? Wasn't that great? Amen? Yeah. Yeah, thinking about that, in the pandemic, anxiety's hitting, and what does it look like to be salt and light? Looks like, you know, we don't turn to what everybody else turns to. We turn to God's word, right? And that's what's available to us. Isn't that cool? Doesn't that make you want to read the Bible? Anybody this morning that make you say, man, I want to go read my Bible. <laughs> Not because I'm supposed to, but because I need to, right? Well, um, I want to ask you, so we're going to talk about, it might be a little bit of an awkward transition. How many of you have seen the movie Spider-Man? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. How many of you, how many of you saw the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? Okay. How many of you saw the most recent, uh, was it No Way Home? Is that right? How many of you saw that one? Okay. Uh, how many of you, if you, clap if you enjoyed it. Anybody? Anybody like it? Okay. Dang it all. <laughs> um, but uh, so I watched Spider-Man, the No Way Home movie, this, this past week. And I enjoyed it. It was good. I really did enjoy it. But the problem was, the last Spider-Man movie I had seen was the first Tobey Maguire movie. Okay? How many of you, raise your hand if you've seen all of, how many are there, like nine or ten? Raise your hand if you've seen all of them. Has anybody seen all of them? How many of you think it's just blasphemy to say, I watched the first Tobey Maguire one, and then I watched the, okay, so, so again, I enjoyed it. But, but there are some things that it felt like I wasn't really getting. For example, so the movie, the movie starts, and, and he's talking about, like, Mysterio. And I was like, Mysterio? Who is, I thought he was a professional wrestler. <laughs> right? And, and, then, and then it's like they're talking about, oh, we, we saved the world, and, like, with, the, with the, the Avengers and all this type of stuff. I'm like, the Avengers? Hmm, who are they? Is that kind of like the X-Men? Kind of? Oh, boy. Touching a nerve there. Like, is Wolverine going to jump out from behind a corner or something? Like, I don't know. It's like, is that who it is? I'm not sure what it's talking about. And, and then, like, uh, and, and then Sherlock Holmes shows up, <laughs> right? And he's, like, in the, the, ice pa- the ice palace from Frozen. I'm like, what is going on here? Everything's just, just colliding together. And so the point is, I really enjoyed the movie, and, and I, I, yeah, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't able to fully appreciate it because I didn't know the full, the full backstory. Does that make sense? So what I'm talking about today is I think that for many of us, when we, when we read the Bible, that's the way it can kind of feel. Does that make sense? That in the same way that for me, like, so for those of you that have seen all, you know, nine or 10 or 50 or however many Spider-Man movies there were, uh, when you were watching No Way Home, you probably got so much more out of it than I did because you had all of the, all of the context. You had all of the, the backstory. And what we're talking about today is that and the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been going through, and we're getting back today, you know, past, post-Easter, um, post-Salt and Light Project. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, all right? We need to be very careful about one thing, and that's that for us as non-Jewish Christians, it's very easy for us to be like me watching No Way Home. It's that we see some stuff, and we're like, okay, yeah, that's cool, and that's encouraging, and that makes sense about Jesus, and Jesus did that really neat thing or whatever, but I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I'm not getting the whole story of what's going on here. 
And so in the same way that knowing the bigger story of a movie and the, you know, the stories that came before it help you more deeply appreciate that movie, knowing the big story of the Bible, the context of the Bible, helps us appreciate who Jesus is more. So do you guys remember when we started the Sermon on the Mount series uh, a few weeks ago? Again, before Easter, before Salt and I project, all that stuff. Remember that? So you see the, uh, the little circle there on, on the screen? Do you all remember seeing that before? Remember what that was about? Okay, so what we've been saying is that Jesus is, he, he's, a, he's a preacher, and he's going around, and he's healing, and he's casting out demons, and he's also talking about the kingdom of heaven. He, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, and what the kingdom of heaven is, is Jesus is inviting us to live a life where he is on the throne of our life. We are in his kingdom, he is our king, he's on the throne of our life, and every aspect of our lives whether it's the way we deal with relationships, the way we handle our money, the way we deal with our emotions, whatever it is, every aspect of our lives, we're, we're centering around Jesus. We're submitting that to Jesus because we're living in his, in his kingdom. So that's what we're talking about. So go ahead, we're gonna pick up in Matthew 5 today. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 5, 17. Matthew 5, 17. So Jesus is, is preaching, and there's one thing you need to know is that as Jesus is teaching, there's kind of an elephant in the room, okay? And the elephant in the room is that there's a lot of the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, they're kind of like what we think of today, kind of like professors at a, at a seminary. They're the theology experts. They're the pastors. They're the religious leaders. And there's a lot of those religious leaders that think Jesus is a heretic. Well, why do they think that? It's because when Jesus teaches, he doesn't teach like they teach. You know, when Jesus teaches, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says people were astonished. Do you know why? Because of his authority. Because Jesus didn't just speak like, okay, you know, this is the verse, this is what it says in Exodus, this is what it means. Jesus would say stuff like, well, you have heard it said, and then quote the Ten Commandments. But then he would say, but I say to you, and he say something that's kind of similar, but it's kind of building off of that, right? Can you imagine if I got up here and I was like, well, you have heard it said that, you know, that Jesus died for your sins, but I say to you, like, I'd be a heretic, right? I hope you would all walk out, right? And so that's what, when Jesus is, is walking around teaching, teaching with this authority, and he's doing things like, for example, the Jewish people in the Old Testament law believed that it was taught that you need to eat kosher. But Jesus said things like, it doesn't matter what goes into your mouth, what you eat isn't what makes you unclean, it's what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. So it doesn't really matter so much what you eat, it more matters how your heart is. And they're like, he is denying the Old Testament scriptures. And then other times, when Jesus would, would heal or he would work on the Sabbath, and he would even proclaim himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. And over and over and over again, Jesus would say and do things that made them think he was kind of saying, okay, the Old Testament's over with now. We're doing something new. Don't worry about that anymore. Okay, so that's the context. And look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17. He says, 
do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so what's this talking about? Well, Jesus says, he addresses the question that they're asking head on. So they're thinking, this guy, Jesus, he's coming to abolish the Old Testament. He's saying we don't have to worry about that anymore. But what Jesus is saying is, that's not what I'm here to do. I am not here to throw out the Old Testament. I'm here to fulfill it, and I'm here to accomplish it. So one thing to note, when Jesus says here, he talks about the law and the prophets, so he says the law and the prophets. For, the, for the, the, the Jewish people, when they thought about their Bible, you know, the Bible's divided into the, the New Testament, which is starting with the things about Jesus and then after Jesus. And then there's, the, um, then there's the Old Testament, which is before Jesus. And it gives a lot of the context of creation and the story leading up to Jesus. And so for them, at this time, their Bible was the Old Testament. And they, when they referred to the Old Testament, they broke it up into three sections. It was the law, the prophets, and the writings. Okay, so when they wanted to talk about the Bible, they wouldn't say the Bible, they would say the law and the prophets and the writings. And sometimes they would say even more shorthand, they'd just say the law, and they'd be referring to the whole Old Testament, or they'd say the law and the prophets. So that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, don't think that I have come to abolish the Old Testament, I've come to fulfill it. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law, again, capital L, law, until all is accomplished, okay? And when he says a dot or an iota, and the Hebrew, basically what this is is the smallest stroke of a pen. It's the, it's the dot over the I. It's the cross over the T. So Jesus is saying, this is, the Old Testament scriptures, these are God's words, and they are eternal. They are never gonna pass away. And I am here to fulfill them. I'm here to fulfill them. Okay, think for a second about what a big statement that is. Jesus says that he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Okay, when Matthew uses this term fulfill, he, he's used it several times up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew. When he uses this term for fulfill, it's usually in the context of talking about prophecy. So, for example, he would say um, it, it was prophesied that the Messiah would come and he would cure our diseases, and bear our burdens. And so when Jesus is, is healing, when he's casting out demons, when he's helping people, it says, and this fulfilled the prophecy that somebody would come, that the Messiah would come, and he would do these things, right? So he fulfilled, he fulfilled these prophecies. But it doesn't just say that the prophecies about the Messiah fulfill, are, are fulfilled by Jesus, but that the entire Old Testament is fulfilled by Jesus. In, in Luke 24, you know what, turn with me there real quick. We'll go to Luke 24. This is really good. I want you to see this. Luke 24, 
in verse 27. So this is after the resurrection, and Jesus is, he's appearing to his disciples, and it says in Luke 24, 27, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so that's, again, that's the, the, the law and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then if you go down to verse 44, it says, it says, these are, these are my words that I, that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day should rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Okay, so what this is saying is that when Jesus says he fulfills the Old Testament, that he fulfills and accomplishes the Old Testament, what it's saying is that, you know, the, the Old Testament was pointing to something. The Old Testament was pointing to something. It was saying, hey, one day something is going to happen. One day this is going to come about. And then Jesus is the one that it's pointing to. And so I really like the phrase, you guys have probably heard of the Bible Project, and one of the co-founders of the Bible Project, Tim Mackey, he loves this phrase, and you guys probably can recite it, that the Bible is what? It's a unified story that leads to Jesus, right? And so when Jesus is saying that all of the law and the prophets, that I'm here to fulfill them, not to abolish them, but to fulfill them, what he's saying is everything in the Old Testament, whether it's the, the creation accounts, whether it's the stories of the patriarchs, whether it's the kings, whether it's the prophecies, whatever, all of that is pointing to me. All that is pointing to me. Um, I, I loved hearing, uh, I was talking to, to Logan Wins a couple, couple weeks ago, and was talking about the, uh, sorry to call you out, Logan, but it's a good thing. And, uh, and was, she was talking about um, come back from the Glory Conference, the Jackie Hill Prairie, Prairie Conference. And I asked, like, hey, what did you get out of it? And she said, well, I just kind of learned, I, and kind of paraphrasing, but I, I learned that the Bible, the Old Testament, is not about me, it's about God. Isn't that cool? And that's what this means, that the Old Testament is meant to point us to Jesus because he is the one who fulfills it. Well, if the Old Testament, if the whole Bible is one unified story that's pointing us to Jesus, well, we better understand that story, okay? Well, let's, um, you can go ahead to, to the next slide. Yeah, so again, more doodles. Um, so, so look at this. A again, this is kind of the big, this isn't even the 30,000 foot view, this is like the view from space. <laughs> um, I think that if you want to try to understand the storyline of, of, of the Bible, of the Old Testament, you can kind of break it down. And again, there's different ways to do this. This isn't perfect, but I think this is helpful. Into these five kind of acts, okay? Abraham, or Adam, Abraham, Moses, the kingdom, and then, and then the prophets. Adam, Abraham, Moses, kingdom, and then prophets. So let's think about this story together. So when God creates the world, he creates Adam and Eve, he puts them in the garden, and he tells them to, to live under his rule and to enjoy everything that he's made in the garden. But they fail the test. They fail the test. They rebel against God. They want to be God. They don't want to let God be God. And so because of that, the world is cursed, and Satan, sin, and death all enter the world. And we've been tormented by Satan, sin, and death 
ever since. And what you see throughout the rest of the first part of Genesis is things kind of get worse and worse and worse and worse, right? But at the same time, God promises to Adam, he says, one day I'm going to send a hero. I'm going to send a hero who is going to come and he's going to defeat Satan's sin of death. Okay, so there's what's happening, then there's the promise. Okay, well, moving on to Abraham. So things kind of get worse and worse and worse and worse, and evil is just running rampant in the world. And God could have given up, but he doesn't. God doesn't give up. Instead, he chooses a man, Abraham. He tells Abraham to leave his family and to follow him to, to a new land, and he makes Abraham a promise. He promises to Abraham that he's going to bless him. He's going to bless him to make him into a great nation, and that through Abraham, not just Abraham's descendants, but all of the people, all of the nations, all of the peoples on the earth are going to be blessed, right? And Abraham, there was nothing super special about Abraham. The only thing special about Abraham was that he believed God. He believed God. He wasn't rich. He wasn't powerful. He wasn't smart. But he believed God, and that's why God counted him as righteous. Well, fast forward a few generations more. You have Isaac. You have Jacob. You have Joseph. And Abraham's descendants are in Egypt. And at first, things are going well. But after a while, the Egyptians kind of feel threatened by the Israelites, and they make them into slaves. So they're enslaved by this evil empire in Egypt. And so then God sends Moses, and he sends Moses to bring the people out of Egypt, to save them from their oppressors, to bring them out of Egypt, and bring them to this new beautiful land, this promised land to give them all the blessings and the promises that he promised to Abraham. Okay. Well, they get into the land. They're in the land. Things are going well, they're prospering, they're flourishing, but then they become an independent nation state. And as an independent nation, their kings kind of one after another just lead them astray. They lead them towards idols, they lead them towards all different types of, of sin and, and, and evil. And there's a, few, there's a few bright spots, you know, David, for example, Hezekiah and a few others too. But for the most part, the, the kings just kind of gradually run the kingdom into the ground. Okay, And eventually, things get so bad that they're once again defeated by a foreign empire, this time the Babylonians, and get carried away to once again be slaves. All right? But then, the, through the prophets, God promises them, he says, even though you've disobeyed me, even though you've run from me, even though even though you've rebelled against me so much, that if you repent, then I will bring you back and give you all the things I promised to give to Adam, to Abraham, and, and to Moses. And he promises that one day, that one day, he's going to come, and he's not just going to give them a new king, he's going to give them a new heart. Because what you see throughout the storyline of the Bible is that no matter how good the situation is, no matter how well things are set up, if it, the problem is inside of us. The problem is that our hearts are evil. 
The problem is that our hearts trick us. The problem is that our hearts do what they did to Adam and Eve, make us distrust God and want to do what we say instead of what God says. And so God says, one day, I'm going to take away your heart that's just this kind of hard as a rock, you know, unfeeling, unresponsive, unloving, unbelieving heart of stone. I'm going to take that away and instead give you a heart of flesh, a heart of flesh that, that beats for me, that loves me, that follows me, not just because you're afraid of me, but because you love me. Okay, so that's kind of the story of the Bible. All right, when we think about, you know, the, the first eight or nine movies of Spider-Man, you know, the, who, who Mysterio is, you know, who the Avengers are, all that type of stuff, th this gets us caught up to, to, to a certain extent, right? So um, Jesus says that he fulfills all these things. Well, what does that mean? In 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul makes this amazing statement. He says that in Jesus, he says in Jesus, all of the promises of God find their yes. All of the promises of God are yes in Jesus. No matter everything that God has promised, you wonder, okay, God's promised this and he's promised this and he's promised that. When is that gonna be fulfilled? When is that gonna be given to us? In Jesus. All of the promises of God find their yes in him. So look at this with me. With Adam, Adam failed the test in the garden. And because of that, Satan, sin, and death entered the world. But God promised the hero. Well, Jesus is that hero. Jesus is the one who passed his test in the garden of Gethsemane. When he had the chance to say, are you going to trust that God knows best, even though it's hard, or are you going to doubt? He chose to trust God. He is the hero that when Satan tempted him, he resisted the temptation and made Satan go away. Okay, Jesus is the hero. He's the snake crusher, as, as the, uh, the, the, that Bible storybook that we gave you guys on, on Easter talks about Jesus being. When Abraham, God says, I'm going to... I'm gonna bless you, and not only that, I'm gonna, through this family that's faithful to me, that believes in me, I'm gonna bless all of the families in the world. Not just the Jews, not just the people in the Middle East, not just Westerners, but every single tribe, tongue, and nation all across the world will get to experience my blessing in Abraham. Well, Jesus is the one Remember, Abraham, what was special about him? Nothing. Well, why was he righteous? Because he believed. Jesus is the one that we believe in. Jesus is the one that we put our trust in. And it's through the spirit of Jesus within us that he empowers us to go and to take the gospel to all the nations. Think about Moses. So with Moses, Moses... Through, through Moses, God rescues the people out of, out of Egypt, and he's taking them to this new home, to this promised land. So he, God's promise there is salvation, salvation specifically through a blood sacrifice. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the one who saves us from Satan's sin and death. Jesus is the one who guides us and takes us to our new home in the new Jerusalem, right? So Jesus fulfills 
Jesus is the new Adam. He's the new Abraham. He's the new Moses. Think about the kingdom. You know, like I said, most of the kings, most of the kings weren't very good. But the best one was David. And God loved David so much. He was so kind to David that he made David a promise. He said, one day, there's going to be a king who's going to be one of your descendants who's going to come, and he's going to be an eternal king over my people. And Jesus is that king. He's not a king that came in power like they were expecting, but Jesus is the king that was prophesied. Jesus is the king that, that God had promised. Think about the prophets. God says, I'm going to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to take away the evil, the sin, the idolatry from your heart. Well, how does that happen? In Jesus, we can not just hear the rules that we need to follow, not just hear the things that we need to do, but we can, our old self can die, and we can rise again with Christ to have new life, to have new desires, to understand why God wants us to do what he tells us to do and become obedient from the heart, like Romans 6 tells us. Okay, so Jesus is the fulfillment, the entire Bible is one unified story that all points to Jesus. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the one who brings the blessing. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one that can fix not just our outward behavior, but, but can give us a heart transplant. That's who Jesus is. Okay, well, as we kind of get ready to wrap up here, what does this mean for you? Think about this for a minute. I don't know if some of the stuff that I've, that I've talked about, maybe this is, maybe this is brand new, um, and you want to go back and study that some more? Maybe you've heard that a million times. And you're like, okay, yeah, tell us something we don't know. But what does this mean for you? Well, like Matt was saying a few minutes ago, we want to be a church where we live with open Bibles, which means we don't just come on Sunday morning and hear preaching and regurgitate what we hear from podcasts or from sermons. We want you to have the experience, like Trey was talking about, of opening up your Bible in your life, in your life circumstances, and hearing what God wants to say to you through that. So let me ask you this question. Thinking about living with an open Bible, what is your motivation for reading the Bible? Why do you read the Bible? I think for some, some of us, if we're being honest, we would say, well, I read the Bible because I would feel guilty if I didn't. Is that anybody? Anybody here relate to that? I read the Bible because I'd feel like a bad person if I didn't. I think sometimes we read the Bible because we just want to find the rules to follow. You know, it's an instruction book. Tell me what to do. Tell me what rules not to break so I can do them and be a good person. Sometimes we read the Bible and we recognize these heroes in the Bible. You have Adam, you have Abraham, you have Moses, you have David. And we say, oh, I want to be like, like so-and-so. Okay, for, for you, when you open up your Bible, what are you, what are you hoping to get out of it? Well, it's definitely not a good motivation to read the Bible because you feel guilty if you didn't, right? Um, I think it's helpful to think about like this. 
you know, Jesus says, when he's being tempted, he quotes the Old Testament and says, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. All right, so Jesus is saying, reading the Bible is like eating. Reading the Bible is like eating. Okay, have you guys ever missed a meal before? Have you ever gone a day or even a couple days without eating? Okay, so if, if, I, if I miss a meal, am I going to say, well, I missed lunch, so gosh, I guess I have to miss dinner too. I'm such a terrible person. Or would I do that? No. It, it, if you miss a meal, you're hungry, and so you go eat. And I think in the same way, if, if maybe you're sitting here and you haven't read, you haven't opened up your Bible and read it all week. Maybe you haven't read your Bible on your own all month. Maybe it's been, been longer than that. And what we're tempted to do is just beat ourselves up and say, oh, I'm not a good Christian, I'm not a good Christian, I'm not a good Christian. But instead, it's just like eating. If you haven't had a meal for a long time and you're hungry, don't beat yourself up about not eating. Just go and eat. Just go and enjoy the meal that God has for you there. Our motivation when we read the Bible, it shouldn't be guilt. It shouldn't just be looking for rules to follow. It shouldn't just be looking for heroes that we can try to emulate. If we really believe that the Bible is one unified story that points to Jesus, then our motivation when we read the Bible should be to worship Jesus. When I'm picking up my Bible, I should think I'm opening up my Bible to try to understand more of who Jesus is and to worship Jesus as he's revealed in Scripture. Well, let me ask you another question. How familiar are you with the Old Testament? How familiar are you with the Old Testament? You know, I, I talked at the beginning about the whole Spider-Man analogy. And, and you know, the, the backstory, the things that really help us understand who Jesus is, is, is in the Old Testament. How familiar do you feel with the Old Testament? When I was going through that story there, are there some gaps that you could kind of fill in? Do you recognize some of those things I was mentioning? Or do you feel kind of like I, I think sometimes it, it can feel like for us, which is, you know, your version of the Bible is like, okay, Garden of Eden sinned, got kicked out, and then love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> um, how familiar are you with the, with the Old Testament? Well, if we believe that the Bible is truly one unified story that points to Jesus, then that means that the more familiar we are with the Old Testament, the more we'll be able to appreciate Jesus. The more familiar you are with the Old Testament, the more you'll be able to appreciate Jesus. Okay, well, let me give you an idea. If you're sitting here thinking, man, that would be great, but wh where do I start? Well, maybe you go ask Trey. You know, maybe some people need to come up to Trey at the end of the service and say, like, hey, you know, would you kind of show me what you did? <laughs> Sorry, Trey. <laughs> Trey, would you show me how your Bible journaling method, could we get together and do that once in a while? Can you train me to do it the way you're doing it? Or maybe somebody else that you know who you know has pretty good knowledge of the word um, and ask them to help you, ask them to come alongside you. Let me give you a suggestion. If you're doing a read the Bible in a year plan, anybody doing one of those plans currently? If you're doing a read the Bible in a year plan, Remember why you're reading the Bible. We're not just reading the Bible to learn rules. We're not just reading the Bible to, to learn about heroes. 
we're learning about the Bible, so we're reading the Bible so we can worship Jesus and understand him more deeply. So I encourage you, maybe try this. As you're reading through the Bible, in every passage, if you want to connect it, say, okay, how does this point to Jesus? Just ask these two questions. Where am I in the story? Okay, remember this we were talking about? At what point of this story am I at? Am I in the, the, the Adam section, Adam and Adam's descendants, Abraham and Abraham's descendants, is Moses, kingdom, prophets? Well, where am I? And how does this passage specifically point me to Jesus? Not just tell me what I should do, but how does this point me more to Jesus? Well, maybe some of you too would say, I'd love to do that, but I'm going to need some help. I need some accountability. Maybe it would be a great idea if you want to grab, you know, two or three guys or gals from your life group and say, hey, you know, let's dive into the Old Testament together. If, if the whole, read the whole, the whole Bible in a year thing feels intimidating, maybe you could try this. Try, try over the next year reading through the first five books of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and then reading the Gospels at the same time. So make it your goal. You know, whole Bible, that's pretty long. But the first five books of the Bible, and every day read one chapter of one of the first five books of the Bible and one chapter of one of the four Gospels. And over the course of the year, you'll be able to get through all of the, the first five books of the Bible and also all, all of the Gospels. And again, ask these questions. Where, where are we? At what point of the big story are we at? And how does this particular passage I'm reading, how does this point me to Jesus? Okay, and yeah, maybe you grab two or three people from your life group and say, hey, let's, let's commit to do this together and pray for each other and share with each other what we're learning. Well, the, the final thing, you can turn back, to, uh, turn back to Matthew 5. The final thing Jesus says, if you think about application, he says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so because Jesus is, he's not abolishing the Old Testament. He's fulfilling the Old Testament, which means in his kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, we can't just say, you know, all of those rules, that was just the angry God of the Old Testament. Now it's, now it's, now it's not that anymore. Right? We can't just throw all of that out. We need to take, if we're going to be serious followers of Jesus, we need to take the Old Testament commands seriously. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what that means. Because in some cases, it doesn't mean you do exactly what it says. In some cases, they've been fulfilled in other ways. Okay, but... In the kingdom of God, because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, that means that we need to take the Old Testament commands not less seriously, but even more seriously than people in the Old Testament times did. And again, we're going to be unpacking that in the next few weeks. And then he makes this statement. Okay, remember I told you at the beginning about the scribes and the Pharisees, right? These are kind of like the seminary professors and the, uh, and, and the pastors, and um, they were the ones who were the experts at keeping the law. All of the 613 rules 
in the Old Testament, they kept every single one of them. So when Jesus says that whoever does these commands and teaches others to do the same, people are going to be immediately thinking about the scribes and Pharisees. They're going to be thinking, oh, well, he's saying I need to be like the scribes and the Pharisees, right? But then Jesus says, no. If you want to not just be great in the kingdom, but enter the kingdom, your righteousness has to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. That's kind of like if you show up for a basketball team and the coach is like, unless you're better than Michael Jordan, you can't be on this team. That's kind of like what what this is saying. And so where this would leave people is just like, how in the world do we do that? What in the world could it possibly look like for us to be more righteous than even the scribes and the Pharisees, the super-duper law-keeping experts? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for fulfilling the Old Testament. Jesus, please show us who you are in a more clear way. Help us to live with open Bibles. Help us to see you in every passage of Scripture that we read. And please transform us from the inside out so we can follow you from the heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.